Uh, my, both my grandfathers served in World War II on, on one in the Pacific because he had a German name, and the other in, I think it was D plus three, he landed. And I um, have cousins who both, both served, grandparents who served. I found relatives who went back to World War II. I mean, the Civil War, on both sides of the Civil War um, and the Revolutionary War, I like, I like that history. Um, but despite my lack of service, I am always intrigued by military history. I've always been very fascinated by it, studied it a lot. I am the kind of, the, I always like, because Veterans Day is coming up, but I always like to talk about Armistice Day um, because I'm a big World War I. <laughs> I think World War I is incredibly fascinating. Um, I've read different strategy uh, experts over the centuries and... Um, anytime, what's interesting, anytime you engage with, with military history, going back to even what's going on in the Ukraine, you know, the, the Kharkiv offensive uh, about a month ago uh, took place, and where the Ukrainians were able to break through a salient on the Russian line and use a spearhead to, to collapse the Russian forces before them. And you start talking about that, and it can relate to conflicts, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000, 2,000 years ago. You can go to the writings of Julius Caesar and the Gaul campaigns, and some of the language is the same kind of language that's used a month ago in, in the Ukraine. I think it's so, so fascinating to be able to relate across this wide swath of history. Because for most of human history, it was military history. That's what was recorded. It was the, the goings-on of the armies and the conflict between the cities. That's what the history that we have. The Roman Empire was able to rule a large part of the Western world for hundreds of years because of its legions. This is the history that it had. And when we get to the section of the Apostles' Creed, there is this encounter between the creed, this great statement of, of Christian faith and Roman history, in this small phrase, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. My friends, we are continuing our series on, on the credo, on what we believe, on the Apostles' Creed, what Christians have believed throughout the centuries. Today, this, this phrase, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. This part of the creed addresses two major concerns that, that human ha humans have, history and suffering. Where do we come from, and what's the deal with all this pain? <laughs> we see both history and suffering in Isaiah 53, the passage that, that Azar read earlier. It's oftentimes called the Song of the Suffering Servant. Jesus will not come to conquer, but to suffer for us. He will not be handsome, but unremarkable, almost sick. But let, let's go back to the creed and look at this, this person. Who was Pontius Pilate? Who was Pilate? Who was this man that we have this history entered, entering into Christian history? Records of Pilate are found across many different sources across the ancient world. We don't really know his, his first name. He just went by his, his formal names. Pilate was a cognomen who are a third name. It was either a nickname or a, like a, a kind of regular name for his father. It probably referred to prowess with a javelin of some sort, either his prowess with a javelin or his father's prowess with a javelin. The Pontius family is from a region of Italy called Samnium, which is south of Rome. Pilate had some kind of military career before he came to, to became the governor in the Holy Land, because that was a requirement of the post. It was a military position, so it wasn't just that he was from a famous family. He had to have some kind of military 
background, probably in the, the frontier around the Rhine or the Danube, which was where a lot of the, the military uh, uh, functions were going on at that time. Pontius Pilate was the fifth governor in, in Roman Palestine during the reign of Imperial, Emperor Tiberius, and he, he reigned from 10 years, from about 26 AD to 36 AD. His main title was as prefect, which is a, a military post. He served as the, the highest officer of the legions in the area, but also as a judicial administrator, um, the highest judicial administrator. So if there was an issue of law, then they would have to come to Pilate as well because of the, the curious relationship with the high priests in Jerusalem, Pilate was the one who was able to appoint the high priest. And he appointed Caiaphas, and Caiaphas was the high priest for the, throughout Pilate's reign. We find this person, Pontius Pilate, in a myriad of secular histories. And we have Pilate in, in the Gospels, in, in Christian Gospel. And then we have Pilate in the Creed. This is not always the case with the Bible and figures and events in the Bible, they don't often line up neatly and perfectly with secular history. Now, one example is the Roman Jewish history about the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And the, the Gospel of Luke begins with the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. And yet, the, the names mentioned there don't really line up historically, especially, you know, the famous passage from Luke 2 in, uh, that we oftentimes read on Christmas Eve. In the reign of Caesar Augustus, while Quirinius was governor of Caesar, of, of Israel. Um, so Quirinius was a real man. We have history of Quirinius. He didn't become governor until 6 AD. But also mentions, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, that Herod the Great was king over Israel when Jesus was born. Um, because of the great... Uh, that's why they, they flee. Joseph and Mary and Jesus flee into Egypt. But Herod the Great died in 4 AD. And so those two don't match up perfectly. As well, there was a, there was a census while Quirinius was governor of, of Israel, but it was just for Judea. It wasn't for Nazareth where, where Joseph lived. And censuses in the ancient world never required anybody to go to their hometown. Um, it was like a census today. They don't want you to move for the census or else it wouldn't be an accurate census. They want to know where you are and, and who you are. So this history does not line up one to one. Now, there's been Christians over the years who have tried to do a lot of ac amazing acrobatic feats to make it line up one to one to basically say, like, what if there was a secret census? Um, which doesn't, doesn't make, like, the whole point of the census is to have the record so that you can tax the people. Um, you know, I don't, no, I don't think no governing authority wants to have a secret census you can't tax people with. Um, it doesn't really help them. You know, it, does any of this, though, make the Bible wrong or inaccurate or false? And I think by no means. I think that's, a, that's the opposite reaction. Because the hinge of the gospel, the hinge of the good news of Jesus Christ, is not based on the beginning of the, the gospel of Luke, but, but the end. It is based on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is based on this encounter between divine history and human history in Jesus' suffering under Pontius Pilate. The precise date of Jesus' birth wasn't recorded because precise dates of birth weren't that important. It wasn't a major deal. In, in the Jewish, Jewish practice, the day of your birth didn't matter. It was the day you were circumcised, and even that was only recorded if the rabbi felt like recording it that day. The hinge of the Gospels is not on this one-to-one -one verification of every moment, but on the amazing, miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
in this encounter with this world, the world and the willingness of the God-man to suffer under Pontius Pilate, which gets us to this question of what is our faith in? Is it in a verification of, from Genesis to Revelation of every moment and event? Is our faith a house of cards that if one card shifts, it all crumbles to the ground? And I'm not talking about just literal interpretations of the Bible. I think literal just means by the letter, and the letter matters. I think if you ignore the letters of Scripture, you are just trying to read it for yourself. But I'm asking if every, every moment in the Bible needs to be verified outside of the Bible according to modern historical techniques that did not exist there. Because if that is what we're trying to do, if we are trying to seek and bend over backwards and try and make sure that every single moment matches up to modern historical techniques, then we should be worshiping those techniques, because that's what our faith is in. Our faith is in the techniques that offer us evidence, not in the God revealed in scriptures. And for some people, this opens up a Pandora's box. I know many, many people I've met who've left the church because they found one flaw or scholar, like Bart Ehrman is a great example of this, um, grew up in a very strict Christian home and studied uh, the, the documents of the New Testament and then felt like they weren't true and this went to a complete other direction. It went from a fundamentalist child, Christian childhood to a fundamentalist atheist adulthood that everything in his life, because everything didn't line up perfectly in the document, he found some manuscripts that weren't exactly aligned, that his goal in life went from to disprove this faith. I'm not saying, you know, this is to walk away is like, well, what are we supposed to believe? Pastor Wilson, Pastor Wilson just said the Bible's not true. I did not say that. Um, <laughs> I do not make that claim at all. I mean, people want hear what they want to hear, but I'm, I'm saying I believe the Bible is God-breathed and the sufficient for salvation in the words of 2 Timothy. I believe, especially in the words at the end of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 20, where it says, were everything, Jesus done, were everything that Jesus did written down, it would not be contained in all the books in all the world. But we have this, these actions of Jesus so that you may have life and have it abundantly. These words are here for a reason, for a purpose, for you to believe and have faith in Jesus. And in this modern world, there's a question of what we believe in. And, and this is why the creeds matter. This is why believing in the right God matters and not an idol. The source of Scripture is God, like the source of a river is its spring. The Bible is not a history textbook, but the Word of God. The, the Bible connects with secular history in an amazing place. And that's why the spot in the creed, this deepest place where the Bible and all of the Christian faith connects in secular history with this person named Pontius Pilate. Jesus lived in our history, encountered our history, the depths of the most concrete history we have, again, which is military history. That's most of the history we have written in most languages are military history, and that is the place where we are connected to history in our creed. Because Pontius Pilate was a military governor. He wasn't an economic governor. He was in charge of the Roman army in Roman Palestine, making sure the Persians didn't attack. They were still a great threat at the time. Under Pontius Pilate, Jesus suffered for us in an encounter with the secular world. And the Son of God did not triumph in a military way. It wasn't a Trojan horse kind of way. He suffered. He took it, even though he didn't need to. God's power is greater than Caesar's power, but instead of overpowering Caesar in a conventional way, instead of taking the life of Pontius Pilate, Jesus took it took that suffering, took that pain for us. Because victory in battle would have been meant defeat 
for our souls. And defeat in battle instead meant victory for our souls. Isaiah 53, the song of the suffering servant, shows us that Christ comes in history in the most unlikely of ways. The prophet writes that he was despised and avoided by others, a man who suffered and knew sickness well. And some people wish for a Jesus that didn't suffer, that didn't suffer under Pontius Pilate. Some people wish for a Jesus that was more confident, that was masculine, that conquered Caesar by the sword, that conquered the Pharisees by the sword, that gave them what they deserved. But that is not the Jesus of the Bible. That is not the Jesus of Christianity. News about two weeks ago, there was a, um, there's a social media guy named Andrew Tate who recently converted to Islam because Christianity wasn't masculine enough. Jesus wasn't strong enough. He didn't defeat his opponent, so he became a Muslim. Are you willing to worship a Savior who suffered for you, who was weak for you, who in a moment when he could have been strong chose to suffer for you? And this encounter with historical reality chose to lose. Our God does not look like the God of great military figures of history. Our God is a God who came face to face with historical power and willingly lost, even though he didn't need to. He was able to lose. Our faith is in that moment of loss and suffering. God's truth is revealed. In this encounter with the historical world, God does not need to conquer in order to save us. The Christian encounter with the world is not about conquest, but about submission. It is about witness to a world that is greater. This is why we celebrate All Saints Day. We remember the saints in our our church and in our life who witnessed to a world that is greater. The saints who showed us how to love how to suffer gracefully, how to care for each other, and how to die in faith. We do not need to defeat the world. Christ has won the victory. We don't need to conquer the Caesars and Pilots and the bullies we face. Christ has won the victory in history. We are called not to conquer, but to witness. Witness to Christ by having our faith fully in him, not in these techniques, not in the things we hear in the news, but in the God who saves us and loves us, who came down for us, to die for us and offer us a life that cannot be controlled outside of that one encounter with Christ, to go forth and to love, and to show that faith, not with power, but with mercy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You did not see fit to love us from afar, but came down in history so that we might have life abundant. Bless us in our own history to seek first your kingdom and not the kingdom of the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.